0: Well, good morning and welcome to Westbridge Church. We are so glad you're here. My name is Eli. I'm one of the pastors here. Also want to welcome those of you in our parent viewing rooms. It's great options for those of you who have young kids who you want to keep with you during the service. Also want to welcome all of you online. We're so glad you're with us. Well, we are just seven days from Christmas, and uh, last Sunday I got an early Christmas present that I wanted to share with you, and you already know, uh, my mighty, mighty Detroit Lions, beat your Minnesota Vikings. Thank you. Uh, It kind of cheapens this brag when you guys do what you did yesterday with the Colts, so you kind of ruined my opener. But I did look this up. Since 1980, the year I was born, you guys are winning the series 56-29, to which means if we win every game against you for the next 13 and a half years, we will tie the series. So give me me last week. Give me my Christmas present. But... uh, I know a lot of us are looking forward to Christmas, and we know that right after Christmas comes the new year, and the new year is always a good time to look back over 2022 and look and see the good, the bad, and the ugly. And I know that uh, whenever something good happens, we never look back and question, why did this good thing happen to us? We kind of expect the good things. But it's not until the bad things happen that we really start to question ourselves and ask questions like, why is this happening? What is the purpose for this pain that I'm going through? And is God good even with my circumstances going on? And I think that the Christmas story is just a perfect time to remember that God can occasionally interrupt the life that we have planned. And it's okay that when he does that, we can ask the questions of why and what's going on. But there's always a big difference between questioning God and asking God a question. Now we all know the Christmas story, but part of the Christmas story that doesn't get much attention is the very, very, very beginning of it. You look at Mary and Joseph and the life that they had planned, the path that they were on, got interrupted. And I don't think part of their plan was that an angel would show up and tell Mary that she's going to have a baby and it's not her fiance's. I don't think that fit into their marriage plan. But the plans that Joseph and Mary had made, although they were gone in an instant, they found themselves on a new path and good came from that new path. Now, we're doing a service a little differently this morning so There's a very powerful story that we want to share with you today. And it's the story of Andy and Rachel. And after that, we actually have Andy here and he's gonna come up and we're gonna interview after this this video. So turn your eyes to the screen.
1: I'm Andy, this is my wife Rachel. Uh, We got married in 2012. Um, We started regularly attending Westbridge. I helped start the middle school group here um, and did that for about four years. Led the tech team for about four years after that. Rachel helped with set up and tear down. In 2018 we lived in St. Louis Park. We were in our first house. We've been there for about four years. Things were going really well. We were where we wanted to be in our career. We had just about paid off all of our debt and we were about ready to you know start our family and move on to like our second set of of life goals. In
2: 2018 we found out we were pregnant Um, And so we announced to our family on Christmas Day. There was a lot of hope, kind of looking forward to what the future was going to be like. About two weeks after that, we found out that I had a miscarriage. And that was a very difficult day. And unfortunately, we didn't really have much time to grieve over that loss because two weeks later, Andy was diagnosed with a rare form of appendix cancer. And so the life that we knew and achieved and built turned upside down um, and we weren't quite sure what we were gonna do.
1: On January 22nd, I went to see my doctor cause I had an umbilical hernia. He looked at it, told me it wasn't a big deal. We did some routine blood work and some testing. And a week later, he called me back and said that the radiologist had diagnosed me with appendix cancer. Appendix cancer is very rare. It's about one in a million in the U.S. that get diagnosed with it every year. Chemo and radiation don't work for it.
2: Being where we're at now um, and looking at us then and we're with this cancer diagnosis and a miscarriage, like I picture it as us standing on a cliff where there's nothing in front of us. And I firmly believe that that was a moment that God used to start building a new foundation that's not built on anything that we have done or achieved. It's built solely on who God is.
1: The Monday after my doctor diagnosed me, um, we went to Mayo and met with a specialist there um, and scheduled surgery for a month later. Uh, on February 22nd, I had a nine-hour surgery where my surgeon took out as much of the tumor as he could, um, along with my appendix, gallbladder, spleen, and omentum, and felt like he, he did a, a meaningful surgery and that it would be um, hopefully years until we had to deal with this again.
2: So after Andy's surgery um, recovery went really quick. He was back to work six weeks. With that, we came up with the motto, for, like, hello today, and live one day at a time. It's so easy to focus solely on the unknowns and the fears and what is to come when we don't even have control of it. And focusing on that robs us of what's happening right in front of us.
1: In February of 2020, I had my second set of scans uh, and they discovered that all of the tumor had grown back. We were shocked, the doctors were shocked. It was, uh, nobody expected it to come back that quickly.
2: That appointment was a tipping point for us. Um, we wanted to travel and so we pursued that and bought a fifth wheel um, with the intent to go travel full time to visit a bunch of national parks and um, do life differently than we were before. In August of 2020 Andy's health started deteriorating pretty rapidly and so we knew at that point we had to get home as soon as possible.
1: So we went to Mayo, um, talked to my surgeon, Uh, he told me at that point that it was inoperable, there was nothing else he could do for us surgically. They admitted me, uh, got me stabilized and on a feeding tube we tried to get me eating again, get my stomach working, but they came to the conclusion that I wouldn't eat again and would need to be on um, artificial nutrition um, for the rest of my life.
2: For the next six months, uh, we were in and out of the hospital with dehydration and nutrition issues. And in February, he had been hospitalized for about a week. And the day that we were actually supposed to be discharged, he started having different pain. He had a bowel perforation. Um, And at that point, we were told that he had a 50% chance of making it through the night. And that was a very, very difficult day. I was able to stay in the hospital with him overnight. Parents were able to come and he spent the rest of the day calling friends to say goodbye. And we thought that that was it, that we were done.
1: Obviously, I made it through the ninth and made it home from the hospital about a week week later. um, My surgeons told me that it was time to start looking for hospice and um, getting my affairs in order. A couple months later, I got connected with a surgeon from the Cleveland Clinic. The doctor reached out and said he might be able to help. So we moved to Cleveland, and in September of 2021, I had. uh, 18-hour transplant. They transplanted my stomach, liver, pancreas, and small bowel um, and removed the tumor.
2: The one thing that comes to mind about where I've put my hope is, is when he was in ICU and there was a time where I honestly didn't think he was gonna make it. His body was shutting down for whatever reason and there was literally nothing I could do in that moment. And so I remember myself sitting in the corner of this dark ICU room and repeating the word, Jesus, 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 over and over again. And so for me, that's what I've put my hope in since day one. And understanding who God is, that he is good despite Andy's cancer. Who he is is not determined or based off of how our circumstances are going. That's what I've done my best to, I've failed many times, but to put my hope in that, um, yeah.
0: Andy's talking about going okay. into the surgery, leading up this, so he goes into surgery, where are you at? So during the 18 hour surgery is what I would just start by saying.
2: Oh, the 18, during the surgery I was asleep. <laughs>
3: <laughs>
2: Rachel, went, Rachel went back
0: home and went to bed actually <laughs> oh man uh, Andy Rachel I just want to first of all thank you guys so much for being so open and vulnerable through this last three years and I can speak for my family I know it's meant a lot for us to to walk alongside you uh through this journey and so thank you so much for uh for doing that, I know you've gotten to tell your story on like the Today Show, on local news channels here, but for some reason they always take the faith part out of it out. So this morning we're going to talk about the faith part of it. But
1: no, thank you. Um, we're really grateful to have this opportunity to share and to share some of like the faith journey um, through this experience.
0: I anticipated you making fun of me right away, so I came here loaded with this picture. (laughs) I just want to remind you guys that underneath this awesome beard is a 12-year-old boy.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's why I keep the beard long, because
0: otherwise... (laughs) After first service and Rachel saw that, she was like, never shave the beard, ever. (laughs) But uh, I want to talk this morning. uh, The life that you and Rachel had planned within the span of like 30 days was just gone. And you had told me that there's this question that you and Rachel have been wrestling with over the last three years, and that is, is God good in spite of your circumstances?
1: I think looking at our experience or from our experience, absolutely, God is consistently good. That is not somewhere we got quickly. It took a long time, and it still comes up. Even last week, I had, you know, bad days where you questioned God, but... God is constantly good despite of our situation. And at, at no point in my journey did I have miraculous healing. I know that God could have done that, but he didn't. But he was still with us through the entire process, from the community that we had that came together and supported both of us through this journey um, to the treatment options that opened up for, for no, other, no other possible way but God set up that timing.
0: So, would a simplification of your story be that at one point you were sick, and they were suffering, and now you're healed?
1: No, I don't. I don't think the point of our story is at all healing or continued health. I think that that's what we pray for every day. That's what we hope for. But ultimately, the main point of our story is how we got to grow closer to God through the suffering and how God provided for us despite the really difficult times.
0: Yeah, there, there um, was a very important lesson that we both uh, were able to learn together in 2019, um, and, that, and Chandler touched on it a couple weeks ago of this, that life is a mist that no one is guaranteed or promised tomorrow. And after your surgery, you and I go out to lunch, and we have this very open and honest conversation. So tell us about that.
1: Yeah, we went to lunch. It was like four weeks after my surgery. And, and I knew that they hadn't gotten all the tumor, and so there was a really high chance that I was going to have to do the surgery again. And I told you, like, I don't think I can. Like, I don't, now that I knew what it was like, I don't think I could go
0: through it again. Um, and I feel like I'm a decent hype man, and so I'm at lunch and I'm like, you will do this surgery again. You will stay here for Rachel. You will be happy that it's happening to you. And uh, I don't know if it landed or not, but I, I felt we, good we, about we it. You tried. Yeah. And,
1: <laughs> and uh, it was, the, like the other big concern for me, for sure, was like, would it be wise for Rachel and I to like try to start having kids again? Like I knew my life expectancy was shorter. And that fear of having a, a kid and then growing up without a dad was
0: um, really difficult for me to deal with. Yeah, and that's, that's something that really hit me and empathized with me just because of losing my dad young in the first seven years of my life, not having a dad. That's been a fear that I've been working through myself and still deal with of dying young and leaving my kids without a dad. And so, but I remember I told you uh, that no one is guaranteed tomorrow. And that I could drive home and get in a car accident, and that would be it for me.
1: And this picture here was taken three months later when I went to visit you in the hospital. After you had a really bad car accident. Yeah,
0: um, you can tell the power of the drugs that I'm on when your leg's in pieces and you're still smiling and tossing up a a thumbs up. but, uh, But you should really pick better
1: analogies for life getting disrupted. Yeah,
0: that. I'll probably not use my name anymore I'd be like, yeah, somebody else could get in a car accident. Exactly. <laughs> um, but I know over the last three years, to, to borrow words from the church, there's mountaintops, there's highs, there's lows, there's valleys, and I know your story has been filled with both, but what have these valleys, these lows points, what have they taught you about suffering?
1: So there's a, a really powerful section of verses in 1st Peter it's 1st Peter 1 um, 3 through 7 and it says blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ according to his great mercy he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable undefilable unfading kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation to be revealed in the last times in this we rejoice though for a little while if necessary you have been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire may be found to result in praise glory and honor at the revelation of jesus christ
0: i have two questions uh for you one is why could you not find a shorter verse about (laughs) suffering that's easier to read But also, what did that verse mean to you? It's a a very wordy
1: verse, I will admit that. But that verse in its entirety really captures the hope that we have as Christians and the hope that we have in the grace that God has extended to us. And it also makes it very clear that we will experience suffering. Suffering is a normal part of this life, and we will all go through it. But in those moments of suffering, we have this ultimate hope of a God who's with us and loves us. And in the end, we get to spend eternity with him.
0: So let's go back to February of 2021 and that's when the doctor comes in and says, you're probably not gonna make it through the night. Uh, Your hope of healing on this earth is gone. And can you just take us back to that night and tell us about that night? Yeah. So like Rachel said
1: we in the video, we had a, I had a bowel perforation. The doctors couldn't find it, they couldn't operate on it. They told me we just had to let it heal on its own, which was about a 50-50 shot that night. And then they didn't think I'd leave the hospital, but um, we did, um, by the grace of God, made it through that night and the rest of that week we spent getting stabilized and um, I got put on IV nutrition on a lot of pain meds and
0: just um, getting
1: ready to to head home.
0: The night they told you we're probably not going to make it through the night, you and Rachel, uh, you laid in bed for a while and then you decided we probably need to make some phone calls.
1: Yeah, so we were, that that night, we were laying in bed just kind of shocked about being told that this was the end. We had discussed this before, we knew it was coming, we just didn't know it would happen so quickly and we didn't know what to do, so Rachel laid in bed with me for a little bit and then we just felt like we had to to call some people and tell them what was going on and that we loved them and and, uh, so I called eight uh, family members and close friends and basically told them goodbye and um, you were one of the people that made that list. I
0: feel like you're saying that like you butt-dialed me. There was a lot of pain medication (laughs) so you never know. Uh, That phone call is something that I don't think I'll ever forget uh, for a few reasons. One, I was in the stage of healing that uh, the way to keep me going was Epsom salt baths. So I am taking a wonderful Saturday afternoon Epsom salt bath when you call. And I usually have a policy of like, I'm not going to answer the phone in the tub. But I felt like I needed to answer. And what, what really blew me away, what stood out to me was the peace that you had. And it was... It was. It wasn't that you were you were sad because you thought you had more time. I remember you saying that, but you had such a peace of I know where I'm going. I know this is something that I know that's going to happen, and I'm okay with it. And I remember uh, hanging up and going, uh, getting dressed, talking to Ashley. And while I'm talking to Ashley, my son Benji came in, who's turning ten today. Happy uh, birthday. He is sick, though, so... <laughs> of course, not a good day. No. But he came in, and he's like, Dad, Ma, why are you, why are you crying? And, uh, shoot. It's funny, they put the Kleenex under my chair. Not, not the guy that went through this, but it's under my chair. But I remember Benji coming in and saying, uh, like, why are you crying? And I said, and he's... We've been very open and honest with our kids throughout all of this, uh, all of your journey. And I said, my friend Andy is going to go to heaven tonight. And his reaction still blows me away because he was like, that's awesome. He gets to see our dog. Like he was, he was pumped for, for uh, you. And, uh, but I remember that night crawling into bed with him and he said, dad, is, is Andy in heaven yet? And I said, I don't, I don't know. And he goes, well, we should probably pray for him. And so I pray and I'm like, heal him, heal him. Heal my friend, let him stay. And Benji goes, and he goes, uh, father, just take away the pain. <laughs> and I'll never forget it. Because then I was like, man. All right. It was one of those, like, your will be done moments. And uh, and so I'll just, I'll just never forget that day. Of, and I can't imagine what that was like for you, having to say goodbye. But uh, but you made it through the night. Things stabilized.
1: Yeah. Made it through. Mm-hmm. Things stabilized. IV nutrition. Drugs. and And that was when... It was at that leaving the hospital then that my surgeon told me best case we'd probably have six months left and to start considering hospice. And that was the first time since I had met him that my surgeon had ever given me a timeline. And so it was February, I knew by August I was going to be dead. And um, and so I kind of at that point lost that ability to, to daydream a little bit. and. I've always been a planner, I've always been thinking like what's coming next, what's ahead, and the next five, 10 years, and in that moment when I knew that August timeline, it didn't feel like it was worth the effort to even consider what was gonna come next because it, it wouldn't come to pass.
0: You said that, you told me that there was clarity that came with knowing the end, there was a finish line. And so what was that clarity that came with your relationships?
1: So I had a friend who told me shortly after that that I was in a unique position because I could be completely eternally focused and I didn't know what that meant. And it took a couple weeks to realize that, that for me that meant the only two things that mattered were my salvation and the way that I interacted with others and how I loved them in the interactions that we had and ultimately how I'd be remembered. I knew that I was going to die. And so every interaction that I had, every conversation, I went into it knowing that. And it was always in, the, in my mind that that could be the last time I talked to this person. And I didn't want to leave any of those relationships with the last conversation being one that was filled with anger or words that shouldn't have be said, been said or words that were left unsaid.
0: Yeah, and I think that's, that's a challenge for all of us in this room of, because we aren't guaranteed tomorrow. Life is a mist. And I think there are a lot of uh, conversations that need to be had or that need to be kinder because we never know when the last is. And I think that's a great lens to view just the interactions with people. But you also said that then there was clarity that came professionally for you.
1: Yeah, I was working up until that hospital stay. So the Monday, after the bowel perforation I quit my job Um, but I still felt like there was something still that I could do that was meaningful I just didn't know what it was at the time and so we started thinking about like my tools and like the the things that I've learned the experiences that I've had in life um, and figured was probably should probably start a nonprofit because when you got six months left (laughs) to live that's about the best time to start a business right yeah so we started Legacy to Inspire, and our mission with that is to just build relationships and mentorship with teens and young adults through the shared experience of woodworking, metalworking, CAD and electronics. so we're building a, a mobile shop that we can take to um, underprivileged areas and give them those experiences of working with their hands and being creative in that way
0: that's that's really cool I think. What's what's really interesting is you started this idea with a pretty good idea that you might not see it to completion. Yeah. And so, while that's happening, while you're planning for Legacy to Inspire, you're hoping and praying for this miracle transplant, and then on September 10th of last year, you get that call, you get that transplant, so tell us about that day.
1: So I was in the hospital at the time, I was having liver failure, they scheduled a procedure to put a drain in my liver to relieve some of the pressure. Um, and the morning of the procedure, they came in and instead of taking me down, told me that I had an organ offer. So the next day, um, I had an 18-hour transplant. I spent 48 days in the hospital afterwards, um, learning to eat again and just recovering. And then. Um, it was about another four months at home after that, just trying to like get back to moving and eating regularly and, and kind of starting to feel like a new sense of normal.
0: Yeah. And you said you had this this goal and this dream. Through all of 2021, that just kept you going, and I want you to share share that. So, so for all of 2021 up to the transplant, I couldn't eat, I couldn't drink,
1: and so my energy was really low because of that. and. So my, my, it was a dream at the time because I didn't think I would ever get to, get to achieve it or experience it again. But my, my dream was to go mountain biking, go on a mountain bike ride be able to drink water while I was doing it, and then go and have a burger and
0: fries and a beer afterwards. (laughs) I think that's also my life goal as well. (laughs) That keeps me going (laughs) through the day. But um, I love that biking was such a passion of yours, and then you hear that uh, Westbridge Church that we're doing this bike ride, last August and you decide, I think I'm going to join that team. So we have a team picture that I wanted to share with everybody. 43 guys uh, raised over $65,000. Um, also want to show this picture which has nothing to do with the story, but I just want to remind you guys that three of your pastors can grow some awesome mustaches. Or creepy. Creepy, that's, that's your person, uh, yeah, your, your, your take on it. But um, you decided to join this ride, so tell me how that happened.
1: So after the transplant, my doctors were really just encouraging me to get moving, get out, and get active, and so I started biking in February, like on a stationary bike, and then in May I bought a road bike, because that seemed like a slightly safer alternative to like gaining my balance and
0: coordination. I've yet to meet a mountain biker that's not just covered in road rash. Yeah. So.
1: But I mean, John had a pretty terrible experience road biking You can get too, hurt doing so, anything, we're
0: not guaranteed so tomorrow. Up. Yes, okay. Uh,
1: but So we, <laughs> I just started biking, and as I was building the miles and um, just going further, it felt natural to, to change that dream that I had had in the whole year previously to instead of just going on a mountain bike ride, i do a 100-mile road bike ride for a cool cause.
0: So you told me something a couple weeks ago that I heard for the first time Were you medically cleared to do this? So, uh,
1: no. (laughs) The whole time my doctor's encouraging me to like get active and get moving and then uh, he told me out of the blue that like I should probably not ride 100 miles because I was gonna have kidney failure and be on dialysis, and so I shouldn't ride more than 30 miles a day. But he told me that the day after I did a 60 mile ride, and so I figured he doesn't, he doesn't know what he's talking about. I, yeah. I don't need well, to listen to him.
0: What does the doctor who saved your life know? Yeah, um. So you, you are training in Cleveland, you move back here, you're training with the 42 other guys, and the day of the ride comes, this is you at mile 50 with Rachel, you look great, you probably smell terrible, but um, we leave this 50 mile stop, and we're met with just a crazy headwind, a terrible part of the course, and you get to that third and final stop before the finish line, and you decide that you need to tap out. So tell me about that, after training for so long and having this goal, having to tap out.
1: Yeah, and so my agreement with Rachel to do it, the bike ride still, against medical advice, was if I did feel really strained, I was going to stop. And I didn't expect that to happen, but it did. And um, having to watch you guys ride right away from that 80 mile ride as I was walking my bike over to the car was uh, incredibly difficult.
0: But that's interesting because I think we all fall into that comparison trap. So I want to take you back to 11 months before. This is you. And I think if we tell this guy, hey, in 11 months, you're going to ride 80 miles. You're going to feed yourself. You're going to drink your own water. You're going to go 80 miles. This guy would be blown away and probably would fight me and say, I'm a liar. But you, you still have
1: that. I would have never believed that if you had told me that. And the miracle of the situation is not lost on me that I I was at death's door and i got a second chance at more time in life and to be able to get back to eating and doing activity and ultimately going on you know an 80 mile ride was amazing but in that moment it's really easy to fall into the comparison and see you guys go on to do the 100 and, and you know i only made it 80.
0: yeah well you took a car to the finish line uh and still got to be there But I think all of us who trained with you knew how important that 100-mile goal was. And so a couple days later, I started reaching out and saying, hey, anybody want to ride with Andy the last 20? And so this, I want to show everybody, because I don't think they know about this, this was your real finish line a couple days later.
1: And that experience, getting to finish that, was a, a huge high for me and for Rachel in this whole, whole trip. And and like a like you said, there's highs and lows throughout this whole experience and through through everybody's life. And I think prior to my cancer diagnosis, I didn't really relate to God through worship music, um, which is kind of ironic to say considering my job was to make the worship service happen here (laughs) for five years but um, it just wasn't that as meaningful to me but it was very meaningful to Rachel so for her birthday one year we went to a Hillsong concert and I heard a song that they have it's called Highlands um, for the first time and it really really struck with me or resonated with me and stuck with me from that point on and I remember a time we were in Montana in August of 2020, we were driving from Glacier Park to uh, a little state park in northwestern uh, Montana where they have giant cedar trees. And um, as we were driving there, we're driving a two-lane road through the mountains, mountain on peak on one side, a valley drops down to the other, into the river, and I felt so so small in that moment, and in the, the midst of all of the, the beauty that God has created, I just felt so insignificant, and this song was playing, Highlands, and there's a verse in it that goes, um, oh how fast would you come running, if just to shadow me through the night, to trace my steps through all my failure, and walk me out the other side, and I, I heard that, and we sang along with it, and I just started bawling, because, I knew that, as small as I felt and as insignificant as I felt at that moment, we have a God who would stop everything, and come and just, just to walk with me through a dark night. And that experience was was two weeks before I ended up at Mayo, being told my stomach was stopping and there was nothing else they could do.
0: Yeah. Well, I think. Um Like you said, the last three years, full of highs and lows and mountains and valleys. And so I want to ask you the same question we asked Rachel at the end, which is, who is God to you now?
1: I think God is our hope. He is our loving creator. He is constant through whatever we go through, and he's going to be there with us and love us and guide us. And I think as Christians, our job is to partner with him in that and to, as best we can, love those around us through those situations. I also think that it's easy for us to get distracted by life and our own goals and our own expectations. And unfortunately, suffering is one of the quickest ways for us to release those expectations and have an opportunity to realign with God And got his plan and to be used by him in this life
0: well I think um, Christmas can be a time of of great joy but also a time of uh, struggle for a lot of people and so I want, uh, I've asked Andy to pray for those who we know um, are struggling are suffering, are holding on to hope by a thread so I'm asking Andy to pray and then we're going to have Jake and Christiana come and sing Highlands and then I'm going to come back and close. And while the lyrics for Highlands are up, I'd encourage you just to, to read them, take a moment. But yeah, would you close us in prayer?
1: Yeah, Lord, thank you for the gift that you've given us through Christmas, through the, the grace that that extends to us, and the promise of an eternity with you. Uh, I pray for everybody here who's going through just hard times. And, and Christmas is... We hype it up as this experience of of great happiness. And for a lot of people, it's tied to a lot of sorrow. And I pray that you would just help us to realize that the joy that comes through this season because of you and because of the promise that you've given to us um, through the sacrifice that you made. Um, I just thank you for this day and for the opportunity to, to just be with you and worship you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.
3: Source of this Cause in the highlands and the heart neither more nor less inclined. And I would search and stop at nothing. You're just not that. Trace my steps through I will praise you in the valley of the same No less God.
0: think there's so much in Andy and Rachel's story that's uh, convicting, inspiring, and uh, their story is not just, we praise him on the mountains, it's we praise him when that mountain's in my way, and uh, I think that's the lesson for us today. I know there's people suffering, we've seen your prayer requests, we've, we've done the funerals, there's people holding on by a thread and I get it and I feel it but if we can learn that God is the same despite our circumstances on the mountaintop or in the valley man everything changes everything changes so I want to uh, I want to give an opportunity for those of you who maybe don't have that relationship with God who, who need a God who can comfort and bring peace and bring healing. And so I'm going to invite you right now, if you would like to say yes to God's invitation to be in your family. I want you to join with me now. We're going to pray a quick prayer. Father, Father, we ask you right now, I ask you to forgive my sins. Forgive me for the times that I've walked away from you. That I've hidden from you. God, I want to be adopted into your family. I want to say yes to your invitation. I want to be your son. I want to be your daughter. I want the peace and the comfort and the healing that comes with being in a relationship with you that's not dependent on whether things are good or bad. God, be my healer, be my peace, be my hope in a season of difficulty. We thank you for that. In your name, amen.